Welcome to our podcast, friends. Thank you so much for listening. If you like our podcast and want to support us, please subscribe or follow us. And please don't forget to click the notification bell so you will be notified when new episodes release. Thank you, and God bless. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me and my friend, the friar, Father Stephen Sanchez, a discalced Carmelite priest. Good morning, Father. Good morning, John. How are you? I am doing very well. I dreamt again last night, and again, I can remember it. It's so strange. Praise God. Yeah. So, so, yeah. You're sleeping. Yeah, I'm getting some good sleep, so it's good. But Bertha still woke me up at... I mean, it was before six o'clock this morning. Same thing she's been doing the last few nights. She comes in or mornings and claws at the covers, like digging at it to wake me up. It's so weird. I don't know why she's doing it. Meh. Because she wants attention. (laughs) Yeah. The the other morning when she started doing it, I got up and she ran straight to the kitchen and her food bowl was empty. And I was like, cat. I love you, but we're not going to be friends right now. <laughs> so last night I made sure that she had plenty of food, and she still did it, so I don't know what she's doing. Maybe I'm snoring or something like that, and she doesn't like it. Or maybe it's the lack of air conditioning. <laughs> Could be. Maybe. All right, today we're talking about evangelization and our role as, well, my role <laughs> as the lady, our role is good. Our role is right. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We have roles. Yeah, yeah. So, why are we talking about this? Well, just recently we talked about scripture. We talked about truth. We talked about prophecy, and part of the prophetic nature of the church and all the faithful is that we all receive through the grace of baptism, we all receive a missionary call, right? Uh, and it's important to understand what it is that we're called to. Missionary, uh, the missionary call or even evangelization doesn't necessarily, you know, mean you go out and name of Jesus and, and try to get people to, <laughs> to come to church or to pray the rosary or anything. It, it's more than that. It, it, there is a very nuanced, rich, deep call of the layperson or just the church in the world, period. And I think it's something that sometimes people don't pay attention to that. And they think that evangelization is like, I got to make you a Christian. Well, it, well, going back to the cate- to the catechism, only disciples make disciples. So then, mm-hmm. it's a matter of understanding your own discipleship, what it means to be a disciple, and then the witness that we're called to give uh, to the world as disciples, as evangelists. I mean, that's that's what we're called to. So, um, I think. We need to look at this, and we need to understand the foundation of this and the teaching of the church, the magisterium, in terms of how the church un- defines the, the the lay evangelization, the lay mission, but also in the understanding of the lay person, how they're called to understand their own their own mission, their own call. Right? Yeah. You know, there's something that 
I I have a feeling. I can't prove it or anything, but maybe it's it's more thinking about myself and how I've you know tried to talk to people in, over my lifetime to evangelize them. Right. I think it's probably relatively common for us to go about it the wrong way. Um, what do I mean by that? So it, it probably doesn't do much good to go to say, I don't know, an atheist and tell them that the bread we eat at mass is the body of and, and and blood of Jesus, right? Like we we start maybe from the wrong place, um, right? And and not not um you know, not because we're our heart's not in the right place, right? Of course, the Eucharist is supposed to be the most important part of our faith, but it's kind of like trying to shout down from you know <laughs> the rooftop of a five story building where you are in your faith journey to somebody who's, you know, standing outside the front door who has no idea what you're talking about. And so I think we 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 try to start from a place of teaching. And again, like we, we do a lot of teaching here, but there's something that I, I think you're going to get to in our discussion today, a better place from which we should start. And I think that's how we live our lives. Right, and and I think uh, to to tell people about the sacraments is it's a good thing. It's better than starting, you know, if like you're, you're gonna you're gonna burn in hell forever because you don't believe in God <laughs> yeah. or Jesus. You're like, that. <laughs> yeah, that that doesn't win over people. So it's a matter of again, as we spoke the other day, in terms of I have to take into consideration the person that I am speaking to and not presume or assume they have all my background and understanding. And I think that's where the the mistake comes. The mistake comes in that we presume or assume that the other person has the background to understand what it is that I'm I'm proclaiming or I'm trying to assert, right? And that's that's a mistake. Because then you turn off a lot of people. You just you know, if for example, our, our separated brethren, when they come to us and say, like, you know, uh have you accepted, you know, Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? <laughs> For us Catholics, that's like, what? Because that's a very <laughs> different history. That's a di- very different understanding, right? And so if they would take time to understand us and speak to us where we're at, then we'd probably understand that we're both <laughs> that we're both Christian and that we're both in the, in the journey of salvation. But Again, sometimes it's it's just the presumption that the other person knows what I'm talking about, and that's where the mistake comes, right? Yeah. So, and I and I think I think Jesus does all the hard work himself, um, and, and we get in the way more than we help. I, I would, and again, maybe I'm just talking about myself, <laughs> but uh, like my friend Chris, we're just through developing relationship with one another and that friendship and growing over time and trusting each other and the conversations that we've had, you know, now he wants to go to adoration. Right. And it's, it has nothing. I didn't, I didn't catechize him over the head (laughs) until he submitted to it. It was just through these conversations and learning what we believe that Jesus or the Holy Spirit's moving his heart. And now he's, he's curious. Right. Right. Yeah. 
So how do we go about all this? Where do we start? Well, first, first let me... Okay, so this is going to be long, so we're going to have to cut up in several segments, right? So this is going to be a long yeah. one, so uh, be ready. So first, I would like to call to attention to the fact that we, as Catholics, we need to understand that evangelization is more about a witnessing discipleship than it is about converting people to the faith. So there has been a change, a shift in perspective, a shift in understanding. Evangelization, since the inception of the community, since the very beginning, has always been at, the, at its heart. You know, when Jesus tells the apostles, you know, go out to Judea, into Samaria, even to the ends of the world, that's the mission that is entrusted to the church, to the community, to the not just the apostolic authority, but the, the apostolic authority to send others to spread the good news of who Jesus Christ is. Okay, So the very first council of the church, the, the, what we refer to as the Council of Jerusalem, was about evangelization of the non-Hebrews when Paul's question came up, right? And so Paul goes to the apostles and the apostles are going, uh, the apostles are going like, well, it's about this missionary endeavor. It's about the evangelization of the peoples. And so they said, okay, fine. You know, they're not Hebrew. They don't have the tradition and, and the understanding that we do. So yeah, you don't have, they don't have to become, uh, they don't have to be members of, Right, of the circumcised. Yeah, they don't have to or, enter the um, old covenant. Yeah. The old covenant to, to be saved. So that's part of that whole thing, right? And so this has been true throughout the ages of the church. And sometimes we've done it badly and sometimes we've done we've done it well. I mean, at times there was, you know, a conversion at sword point, you know, uh, when, yeah. with the fighting with the Muslims in the Holy Land and all that. And so, yeah. That was, again, as the church is in history and is growing in its understanding. You know, we've put down the sword, praise God, and now we understand deeper what evangelization is about. So, so the Holy See establishes, you know, um, an official overseeing body uh, of the evangelization, right? Uh, the doctrine of the faith, right? Event, it eventually establishes this. So the Holy See establishes this papal office in charge of worldwide evangelization efforts. And the this office of worldwide evangelization was established by Pope Gregory the Fifteenth in 1622 as the Congregation for the Evangelization of Peoples. So that congregation, I guess now we would call it a dicastery, right? This office, right, is directly responsible for the establishment of various missionary congregations whose goal was to preach onto the ends of the earth. They were in charge of all the missionary activities, right, all the missionary congregations of priests and religious. So there has been a, sh a big shift, you know, from the 1600s to, to where we are today. The Second Vatican Council brought the missionary nature of the church into sharp focus by underlining the responsibility of local bishops in their dioceses and their local churches, as well as the co-responsibilities of the College of Bishops for the mission to peoples. So 
shortly after the Second Vatican Council, Pope Paul VI reorganized and adjusted the tasks of the Roman Curia, the, the bureaucratic offices in the Vatican, according to these directives. And he published the the reign of the church, the universal church, in August 15th of 1967, basically the publication of this whole uh, manner of evangelizing the world. Mm-hmm. So the, congreg- the Congregation for the Propagation of the Faith now took on that name uh, of the prop- propagation of the faith, evangelization, the evangelization of the peoples. So the Second Vatican Council missionary decree, Agentis, had redefined uh, the function of the missionary uh, office, right? Outlining the composition of all the bodies that oversee the different areas of evangelization. So the same document then affirms that all missions and for all missionary activity, there should only be one competent office, namely the propagation of the faith. So, okay, if you have, for example, if you have, you know, all these different people and they all want to go do missionary work, well, it has to be organized. So, again, mm-hmm. in the West, being who we are, uh, we needed to organize the missionary effort. Instead of having 30, 40, or 500 different congregations all doing their own thing, uh, that there's an, organi- there's an organizing body how to approach the evangelization of the world. Okay. Yeah. So, and is, is this still, this is not necessarily the laity. This would be... Like not at this point. At this religious. point, it's the, it's the religious, right? It's the religious, the okay. congregations, uh, uh, missionary uh, congregations. Yeah, this but, is uh, this can be interesting because I, I I've heard somebody and I couldn't even tell you who it was because it was it could have been sometime this year, could have been last year, who knows? Some some video, but this guy was uh, really critical about uh, the Catholic Church. You know, people like to complain, right? And so he's a Catholic complaining about the church on how the Vatican II, um, you know, was heretical or something like that. Because uh, <laughs> instead of trying to convert people, well, like it's taking away our uh, call to convert the world and bring them into the faith. And I would imagine now, just hearing this even at the very beginning, that this is... He, he probably misunderstands what they're saying. He probably hasn't read the document. Just got done saying, <laughs> "Yeah, it's not conversion; it's evangelization. It's witness evangelization." Yes. Yeah. So this, yeah, yes. this is gonna be interesting. <clears throat> yeah, and so I think I think that's one of the things is uh, it's not about threatening people with hell. It's about uh, uh, the catechism tells us that you know, as I said before, dis- only disciples make disciples. So it's a matter of how do I evangelize with my how do I model that for others to imitate right so by being judgmental mm-hmm. and condemning and threatening that is not evangelization yeah okay so one of the things that, that the second Vatican Council helped re remember or remind us is that it's not the evangelization is not just for professionals or religious congregations and it's not just for someone else someone else to go baptize for and 
foreign, you know, babies, you know, pagan babies, yeah. as they used to say. So, as I said before, evangelization is about making disciples, and since only disciples can make disciples, part of what I would like to address today is, again, in very broad strokes, is the vocation of the believer, or if you like, the vocation of the laity, the apostolate of the laity. So before I cite the documents of the Second Vatican Council, I would like to state once again that all the documents of the Second Vatican Council are to be read and understood in the context of all the Second Vatican Council documents. You can't take just one. You have to read them all. Okay, And that's why a lot of people don't read them because that's a lot of material. So that being said, I would like to point out that Uh, The decree on the apostolate of the laity that comes from the Second Vatican Council, the apostolicum actuositatem, which is the the action of the apostolate or the work of the apostolate, focuses on this apostolate. The The same council fathers point out that in other conciliar documents, they have addressed the proper and indispensable role of the laity in the mission of the church. Mm. So the so, second so basically Council, basically they're saying we're going to talk about this but we've already addressed this in other documents so like per my previous right. email go, go read the other exactly. you know, documents exactly. first yeah okay. Exactly but what they're saying is that the role of the laity is indispensable in the mission mm. of the church so they're saying it's not just for professionals. It's not just for professional missionaries, right? So, to better understand uh, the importance of this document, we have to, again, contextualize so that we have a better understanding of what the Second Vatican Council Fathers are talking about in the matter of the laity and the vocation of the laity and how the laity is meant to exercise their missionary uh, evangelization of the world. So, the laity. In the documents of the Council, the Second Vatican Council, the the role of the laity is touched upon in many documents. But two of the constitutions are important in understanding the vocation of the laity and in putting the present decree on the apostolic work of the laity in the context of understanding the lay life mission or the mission of the layperson, right? So the decree on the apostolate of the laity flows from the document Lumen Gentium, which is the light of the peoples or the light of the nations, Christ being the light of the nations. It's on the teaching on the priesthood of the baptized. That's in chapter two of Lumen Gentium. They also refer to the lay state in chapter four of Lumen Gentium and also reminds everybody that there is a universal call to holiness. That's in chapter 5 of Lumen Gentium. So, again, Lumen Gentium is a dogmatic constitution on the church. So, whoever was complaining about the church (laughs) is complaining against a dogmatic declaration of the church. So, they need to reevaluate their stance. Okay. Yeah. So, in Lumen Gentium, Article 10 of Chapter 2, 
presents the theology of the ministerial priesthood and the priesthood of the baptized and the relationship with the one priesthood of Christ. I've said this before. For all those people and people outside of the church that complain about priests, there's only one priest. It's Jesus Christ. Within the Catholic Church, there is the ministry of ordained priesthood, but it is a share in the priesthood of Christ. All the baptized are priests because they share in the priesthood of Christ. Okay, so so all of chapter 4, especially articles, all of chapter 4, which is articles 30 to 38, deal with the understanding of the lay state of life. Chapter 5 reminds us that every member of the church is called to holiness again. So, first, let me restate that part of Article 10 of Chapter 2 presents the theology of the priesthood of the faithful. So, this is Lumen Gentium. This is Article 10. So, Christ the Lord, high priest, takes from among men, made the new people, a kingdom and priests to God the Father. The baptized by regeneration and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, so when we're chrismated, when we're anointed at our baptism, are consecrated as a spiritual house and a holy priesthood in order that through all those works, which are those of the Christian man, they may offer spiritual sacrifices and proclaim the power of him who has called them out of darkness into his marvelous light. Therefore, all the disciples of Christ, persevering in prayer and praising God, should present themselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Everywhere on earth, they must bear witness to Christ, and give an answer to those who seek an account of that hope of eternal life, which is in them. Though they differ from one another in essence, and not only in degree, the common priesthood of the faithful and the ministerial or hierarchical priesthood are nonetheless interrelated. Each of them in its own special way is a participation in the one priesthood of Christ. The ministerial priest, by the sacred power he enjoys, teaches and rules the priestly people, all laypersons, right, acting in the person of Christ. He makes present the Eucharistic sacrifice and offers it to God in the name of all the people. But the faithful, in virtue of their royal priesthood, join in the offering of the Eucharist. They, likewise, exercise that priesthood in receiving the sacraments, in prayer, and thanksgiving, in the witness of a holy life, and by self-denial and active charity. So there you have the essence of what it is that we're called to to be, all of us, right? Uh, But by living a life of prayer, by exercising the use of the sacraments, by uh, being a a holy, giving a a witness of a holy life, and by that they mean a life of charity, understanding, all the corporal works of mercy, right? And the fact that everywhere on earth that they must bear witness to Christ, 
That is the foundation for evangelization. And that is something that at times people forget. Sometimes people forget, as I, you know, like you were quoting this person, right? Uh, citing this person that, you know, that he was upset because it's, you know, we're not converting people at sword point anymore. Like, well, that's never been what it should have. It should have never been that to begin with, but it got a little skewed during, you know, the Middle Ages yeah. and so kind of reorganized ourselves. Yeah. This, this section, I think, highlights very interestingly the difference in, um, the ordination, like the the or the the holy orders, so like the bishop, priest, and and deacon as well, because the way how it was, it was saying, we're, you know, we all share, but then the priesthood, <clears throat> excuse me, how it's all interrelated, and how like they rule and teach, and the laity um, exercise by their their priesthood by participating in the sacraments and um, you know living a holy life in a non-liturgical way as well. And just how, how like, the again, the, the bishop is has the authority to teach, and the priest has the authority to, and maybe authority is the wrong word, but the, the ability to uh, offer the sacrifice of the Mass. But it's meaningless without the lay people. And same way the deacon um, exercises his ability in a way that's different from the priesthood, right? So he's more connected to the laity and the rest of the world than the priest is or the bishop is. And I don't know. So, so something about that, I just, I think it's all really interesting how the the hierarchy is established because it makes, to me, it makes Jesus seem approachable or within reach in a, a many different forms. I don't know. Right. I don't know if that that makes any sense, but it's yeah. Anyway, I I liked it. <laughs> uh, but no, I, I thank you. Thank you for thank you for that because I think one of the things that happens is, um, for example, that person that you were citing earlier that was complaining about the mm -hmm. council. We people need to stop thinking of the church as simply bureaucracies. Uh, mm -hmm. You have to understand that the church is a living organism. It is a living, dynamic organism inspired with the Holy Spirit moving towards the eschaton and the fulfillment of all things. And so you have to remember that, yes, we still have to evangelize, but it has to be order. It, there, it can't be mm -hmm. chaotic. There has to be a purpose. There has to be a focus. There has to be an ordered way of preaching. There has to be an ordered way of that mission to the world, right? Yeah, and I like it. The, the so use, I, think, I like that you use the metaphor of organism because just in our bodies, right? We have all the different organs or all the different cells, and everything does its own thing, but they have to work together, or else, yes. you know, whatever creature doesn't live. Yeah, and I think that's important to remember too. Is, is that that every so the priest, the or the the ordained priest has his role. The laity has their role. The religious have their role. And they, and even within all the different forms of priesthood and all the different forms of consecration and all the different ways of living a lay life, it all, it all needs to work together. Mm -hmm. And if there's jealousies and envies and all this other stuff, 
what it does is it causes the body to be sick. And yep. that's not that's not the way it's supposed to be. So I think the purpose of the, the of the council fathers in this these documents, I should say, was teaching on the priesthood of the baptized is to remind us of our consecration to God's service through the fact of our baptism. There's a lot of these people who think about baptism in terms of getting to heaven. It's more than getting to heaven. It's about a mission that you have received and you are consecrated to the service of God. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that, you know, I have to travel to Russia or China to baptize pagan babies. It means my mission, again, as the Council Fathers remind us, to live in holiness, to live a virtuous life, right? Each member of the church shares, as we have said before and in our podcast, shares in the priestly, kingly, and prophetic roles of Christ, each of us. And each person, according to the state of life in which they're called, each of us is obligated to manifest these qualities. So how am I called to manifest the priestly, kingly, and prophetic role as, not just as a Christian, not just as a Catholic, not just as a religious, not just as a priest, but as a discalced Carmelite in the light of that, that there is a particular way that I am called to do that, right? So each of us needs to look at those different levels and different colors and textures and tenors of how each of us is called to manifest it in our particular way. Um, so the lives, the lives of ordinary Christians are priestly to the, to the extent that we, we surrender to the power of self-giving love embodied in the salvific self-gift of Jesus. So those, you know, who are very, you know, fire and brimstone, you're going to hell, uh, you know, conversion at knife point. Uh, how is that manifesting self-giving love that seeks to imitate the salvific self-gift of Christ? So, okay, so, now. Again, Lumen Gentium, this time article number 31 on the laity. So, the term laity is here understood to mean all the faithful except those in holy orders and those in the state of religious life especially approved by the church. These faithful, the laity, are by baptism made one body with Christ and are constituted among the people of God. They are in their own way made sharers in the priestly, prophetical, and kingly functions of Christ. And they carry out for their own part the mission of the whole Christian people in the church and in the world. What specifically characterizes, excuse me, <laughs> not enough coffee, what specifically characterizes the laity is their secular nature. You're in the world. I live in a monastery. The priest lives in the rectory and has and has the parish, right? But the layperson is in the world, and because they are in the world, they have the laity have a greater, greater opportunity 
to evangelize than the person that's in the monastery or the person that's in the rectory. So the the Lumen Gentium continues, number 31 continues, the laity by their very vocation seek the kingdom of God by engaging in temporal affairs and by ordering them according to the plan of God. They live in the world, that is, in each and all of the secular professions and occupations. They live in ordinary circumstances of family and social life from which the very web of their existence is woven. They are called there by God that by exercising their proper function, mission, evangelization, and led by the Spirit of the gospel, they may work for the sanctification of the world from within as eleven. In this way, they make Christ known to others, especially by the testimony of life resplendent in faith, hope, and charity. Therefore, since they are tightly bound up in all types of temporal affairs, it is their special task to order and to throw light upon these affairs in such a way that they may come into being and then continually increase according to Christ to the praise of the Creator and Redeemer. So here... The Council Fathers honestly confronted the difficulty of living a truly covenantal life, not only in the world, but because of their own internal struggles against temptations to selfishness and other worldly or fleshly ways of thinking and living. So this dissonance in the life of the believer should be of concern to all members of the Church, but above all, the conciliar fathers wanted to emphasize the ancient priority of Christian baptism over all other subsequent distinctions within the body of Christ. The demands of baptism impelled Christians to bring their faith and values to bear on their daily lives. So, one of the things then is okay. So, and this is always this is always just irks me. Just sometimes, yeah, it just irks me to no end. Is are we exercising, are we really living our, our Catholic values in all areas of our life? Not just at church on the weekends or Sunday or whatever, Saturday vigil mass, but everywhere. Am I? Do I live my life with my life informed by my Catholic values? And unfortunately, what happens is sometimes People can be selective in their Catholic values and how they live that out, right? So, mm-hmm. am I consistent in the, in my Catholic values and how I live that in my business life, in my political life, in my social life, in my family life? All those are, are ways in which I am called to to witness to the new life that has won been won for me by Jesus Christ. Okay. That's yeah, that's so that's really really powerful. What's the scripture verse like don't conform to the world or don't be conformed to the world, right? Um right. Right. We're I I like that imagery of leaven cuz I you know, I've I like to bake bread and it ch- absolutely changes the rest of the dough when you have that yes. leavening agent, right? That's man, that's such a good image. Because yeah, how many people, um, how many people are only Catholic or only Christian at church when it's convenient? 
when it's convenient. Yeah. Because how are you supposed so the to, largest, if, if you aren't, yeah, if you aren't acting that way every other place in your life, how are you supposed to leaven the world, right? How are you supposed to change things? Right. And the the, the largest, for example, the largest body, uh, religious uh, affiliation, um, the largest affiliation in the United States are Catholics. Yeah. If you look at the United States in all aspects, in all political aspects, in all social aspects, you wouldn't know that. No, there's you, you just would not know that. Never know. Never know. No. No. So, so you know, instead yeah, of wor- instead of worrying about instead of worrying about, you know, going to China or Russia or some other country and baptize pagan babies at knife point, look at this, this, the United States is considered missionary territory because yeah. it hasn't been evangelized. Yeah. And heck, has your, <laughs> has your neighborhood even been evangelized? Has your own family yes. even been evangelized? Yes, 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 yes. So, now, the next, the next, um, document I would want to cite before we get to the whole idea, again, of the lay vocation, again, contextualizing the lay vocation to evangelization is Gaudium et Spes, which is a pastoral constitution on the church in the modern world. So, chapter 4, which are articles 40 to 45, deals with the role of the church in the modern world, and article 43, within articles 40 45, treats of the role of the lay faithful in the world. So, in part two, the council points out some problems of special urgency, the first being fostering the nobility of marriage and the family, which are Articles 47 to 52. However, it is in Gaudium et Spes, Article 43, that we find the council's most mature reflection on the laity's Christian obligations in virtue of their immersion in the world of ordinary human activity, right? Call to, to be 11 in the world. Yep. So this is Gaudium et Spes, number 43. The split between the faith, which many profess, and their daily lives deserves to be counted among the most serious errors of our age. Mm. In other words, what we just talked about. Yeah, so we weren't the only ones who noticed. <laughs> yeah. So, okay, you say one thing, you profess one thing, but you're not living it. It's not integrated into your life. It doesn't influence your social, political, family life, right? So, okay. So, this is one, again, among the more serious errors of our age, right? Long since, the prophets of the Old Testament fought vehemently against this scandal, and even more so did Jesus Christ himself in the New Testament threaten it with grave punishments. Therefore, let there be no false opposition between professional and social activities on the one part and religious life on the other. In other words, my religious life needs to inform my professional life 
and my social life. Yeah, I like that they called it false opposition too. That uh, that's this is a very yeah. strongly it's like a gently strongly worded paragraph. Um, yeah, because the admonition if, if the is like, okay, dudes. Yeah, yeah, like cowboy up. <laughs> that's yeah, what they're more, so like, come more on. serious and false opposition. Like that's yeah. So continuing on then. The Christian who neglects his temporal duties neglects his duties towards his neighbor and even God and mm. jeopardizes his eternal salvation. Oh. Hello. <laughs> That's serious. Yeah. Okay. Christians should rather rejoice that following the example of Christ who worked as an artisan they are free to give proper exercise to all their earthly activities and to their humane, domestic, professional, social, and technical enterprises by gathering them into one vital synthesis with religious values under whose supreme direction all things are harmonized unto God's glory. And I hear good Catholics, devout Catholics, I hear them sometimes complaining about the teaching of the church, but it'll, they complain about the teaching of the church only when it touches something to do with their life, whether it's a capitalism, mm -hmm. whatever it may be, there's something that they're not willing to be informed about or willing to be challenged on. But, you know, they will cite, and I talk about cafeteria Catholics, they'll cite, they'll cite some other document to make their point but they will absolutely refuse to take all of the teachings and to examine their lives according to all of the teachings, not just those things that are dear to, de near and dear to them. Okay. Yeah. So continuing with number 43 of Gaudi uh, Mitzvahs. Secular duties and activities belong properly, although not exclusively, to laymen. Okay, being in the world, right? Therefore, Acting as citizens in the world, whether individually or socially, they will keep the laws proper to each discipline and labor to equip themselves with a genuine expertise in their various fields. They will unhesitatingly devise new enterprises where they are appropriate and put them into action. From priests, they may look for spiritual light and nourishment. Let the layman not imagine that his pastors are always such experts that to every problem which arises, however complicated, they can readily give him a concrete solution or even that such is their mission. In other words, allow professionals to be the professionals. So a, a priest is not going to tell you how to run your business because they don't have, unless they have a, a master's in business, they don't, that's not their competent, area of competence. So look for professionals who have in their area of competence, and ask for guidance, ask for clarification. Go to the Holy See. You know there are there are congregations within the Holy See that deal with almost every aspect of life, right? So rather, enlightened by Christian wisdom and giving close attention to the teaching authority of the Church, let the layman take on his own distinctive role. So, as a Catholic Christian, if you're an expert in something. Offer that expertise to the church. Offer that expertise to guide others on how to manage your Catholic faith in that particular area of 
the world, the secular world. Okay, continuing with number 43. Often enough, the Christian view of things will itself suggest some specific solution in certain circumstances. Yet it happens rather frequently and legitimately so that with equal sincerity, some of the faithful will disagree with others on a given matter, even against the intentions of their proponents. However, solutions proposed on one side or another may easily be confused by many people with the gospel message. Hence, it is necessary for people to remember that no one is allowed in the aforementioned situations to appropriate the church's authority for his opinion. They should always try to enlighten one another through honest discussion, preserving mutual charity, and caring above all for the common good. Mm. That's that's a really, golly, this is a really interesting article or, or document because how many times do you think uh, I like that where it's like don't don't just think of uh, the the priest as the expert in all things right and how many times would you know have you maybe even experienced somebody has a problem and um, so l- let's just uh, make something up so I I uh, have a problem and so I go to my friend uh, Jeff for advice and he goes, Oh, you know what? You need to go talk to a priest. Right? Like so immediate it's it's kind of like he's abdicating his responsibility to help me by just passing the buck over to a priest. Correct. And 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 if the if the priest if that is the area of competence yeah. and expertise, okay, good. But if not, what? Yeah. So okay, so okay, my ex person in my life isn't taking their their medication. Oh, you need to go talk to the priest. Okay, well, fine. Except that if the priest has absolutely no idea about medication, no idea <laughs> yeah. about anything like that, why are you asking him? Yeah, yeah. And then I also like how um, where it says, uh, let's see, it, you know, it happens rather frequently and legitimately that people have they disagree with each other, and yeah, oh, yeah. To be careful not to just like claim teaching the teaching authority of the church. Exactly, as you're exactly. right. <laughs> so it's this is really kind of interesting. All of this is so interesting because it's like okay, go do your thing in the world. Uh, whatever it is that you do, do it well. You don't have to be the expert, but if you are the expert, go for it. And you don't even necessarily have to. Nobody, you don't have to be so correct that everyone agrees with you. You guys can disagree with one another, and it's okay. We're going to sort it all out as we journey through life together. Right, and that's how you educate yourself is by listening to others, and you come to different opinions and different 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 ways of looking at it, and that's how you educate and you grow. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you're if you're going to be absolutist, like it's my way or the highway, well, that's not going to work. And part of the whole, this idea that the Council Fathers are talking about is what they're saying is live an integrated life. Make sure that your your spirituality, if you have one, your spirituality, that your Catholic faith informs every aspect of your life. That's what they're asking for. Yep. And, and that is the stuff. basis then for, that is the basis then for the understanding the lay apostolate, the lay, the, 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 the lay evangelization, right? 
Yeah, it's it especially makes a lot of sense too, as as you're saying how, you know, the laity is out in the secular world, whereas you know the religious is in his convent, and the you know the priest is the diocesan priest is taking care of his parish, and everybody's got their own roles, and so we're the only ones who really have the time and freedom to interact with the rest of the world. Yes, yes, that's the mission. But how do you do that? Yeah. Do you go around? You, are you gonna? You know? Are you gonna get a, a an a, a, an automatic rifle and, and go to the the nearest Baptist church and force them to pray the rosary and accept Mary uh, the dogmatic constitutions or the dogmatic decrees on Mary? No, that's not the way it works. All that yeah. military militant approach is contrary to the gospel. And if they would listen and read this document, they'd say they would understand that they're endangering their own salvation, even though they're thinking they're fighting for the kingdom. Yeah. Well, and even, and man, that was really strong too. The, the whole, if you don't, if you pass the buck, if you think this is someone else's responsibility, you're equally jeopardizing your salvation because this is your yes. mission. Yes. And that's so. That's drop so, mic. <laughs> yeah, right. Because that's so weird. Because how many people are afraid to talk about Jesus? How many people are afraid yeah. to just, you know, talk to someone at work? How many people at work are afraid to mention God, or online, or wherever? Especially nowadays, you think you're just going to get canceled or something like that, right? But how many people, or or don't feel like they're well equipped, or they even have any authority to say something, right? That's not my, I don't know. I'm not an expert, so I'm not going to say anything. You know, I'll let the priest say it at, at mass in his homily. Yeah. 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 <sighs> yeah. This is, this so is should we good. pause? Should we pause here? Yeah, because the, I think before we get into, before we get into the text, there's going to be an, a nice long segment yeah. here. Yeah, no, I think this is this is a good place to take a break, but this is fantastic. This is this has been a really really kind of eye-opening document and it absolutely gives you something to think about especially as a layman. <laughs> well, I think in ter- in terms of the the call to the evangelization to the mission, right? And again, it, mm-hmm. it's like, you know, it's not about forcing people to convert. That's not it. It's about, are you living your covenantal life? That is what evangelization is. Yeah. And, you know, in a lot of our our, our more recent previous episodes, we've been thinking, you know, or uh, I've been thinking, how how would you even approach this with someone who, say, somehow doesn't have any knowledge of any of this? But the question I'm starting to develop now is, how do I approach? approach evangelization and catechesis with other Christians, with the other people in my parish, with the other people in my family, with the people who you would think would know better, because maybe, just maybe, it's equally as important to evangelize to one another Christians and to strengthen them and give each other the the strength and courage to live that out in, in all of our lives. 
Yeah, to build up the body of Christ. Yeah, that's how yep. you do that, by evangelizing each other. And so one of the things then is, one of the models or the examples that is given for missionary activity is the model of, on the road to Emmaus, how Jesus mm-hmm. walks with the disciples. He's just walking with them, listening to them, listening to the to their discussion, their arguments and everything. And then he goes like, hey, what are you all talking about? Oh, and walks with them and listens and 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 begins the catechesis by walking with them where they're at. Yeah. And so that's part of it too. Part of the evangelization is to listen to where the person is. And then what can you bring to that situation? What sort of light or, or suggestion or something, right, to the person? It's not a matter of like, oh, you need to go to RCIA. Like, well, <laughs> yeah. But that's kind of sort of like being irresponsible about the evangelization because you, you just want you want the results instead of the process of journeying with somebody. Mm-hmm. Like, no, that's not the way it is. That's not the way yeah. it's meant to be. Yeah. Well, cool. Then let's leave everyone with a call to action here. Um, <laughs> this week, I don't know how how do we how do we say this? Go go walk with someone. Go um, be salt. I would and light. say, uh, <laughs> yeah. I would say, I would say, seriously consider. Ask yourself, how does my Catholic faith as as a believing Christian, as a as a Catholic, how does my faith inform my daily life, my family life, my social life, my leisure life, my business life, my political life? And what do I need to do to greater inform that? That's going to be a challenge. That's going to be a challenge because it's going to ask us to go against our biases and our prejudices. Yeah. And you you may discover along the way that even in your own family, nobody ever hears you talk about your relationship with Jesus. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And it's big stuff. Big stuff. Well, thanks for this. And uh, man, I'm super looking forward to next time now. Okay. All right. Love you. Love you too. And everybody, thanks for joining us. And we can't wait to see you next time. God bless. God bless. Mm